Welcome to This Week in Local, a Locology podcast featuring lively conversations about the local digital ecosystem, hosted by Locology analysts Mike Bolin and Charles Lachlan. Hello, welcome to This Week in Local. I'm Charles Lachlan, Senior Analyst at Locology, joined by my colleague Mike Boland. Mike, how's it going today? Hey, Charlie, going well. Great. So what's on your mind? So we are tracking something this week where Amazon has launched a new version of its Just Walkout technology. Um, and this is its technologies that that lets retailers essentially uh, achieve cashierless stores. So a lot of people know this as sort of Amazon Go stores, which were largely misunderstood as some sort of end game, really. Like we, we detected them earlier as, as a sort of proof of concept for what Amazon really wants to do here, which is to sort of what we're calling, it's sort of a made up term we've made is retail as a service, is providing sort of Amazon style logistics and all that kind of stuff to retailers to help them just sort of streamline their operations. So anyway, I'll get back to that in terms of the the broader goal. But anyway, looking just at the just walkout technology, which is one of the pieces of that puzzle, um, you know, it, it formerly used these sort of ceiling mounted cameras and shelf sensors so that, you know, they know when someone took something off the shelf and then that fed into the sort of algorithmic way of telling that they, you know, walked out of the store with it and sidestepped the, you know, the traditional bottleneck of a of a, a checkout aisle. That's the whole point. That's the just walk out part. So anyway, this whole just walk out promise was enabled by this like series of technologies. Again, ceiling mounted cameras, shelf sensors, all sort of came together. So what they've done this week, that's all just background. What they've done this week is they've added RFID to the mix. So RFID, um, they're small tags. It stands for radio frequency identification that helps retailers otherwise track product movement and inventory. So that's the beauty. A lot of retailers have already invested in this technology for various logistical purposes, which Amazon is now leaning into thinking that if they can sort of piggyback on this technology that one, retailers already have invested in, and two, more importantly, something they're familiar with. One of the challenges and the headwinds Amazon has rolled into in this whole retail as a service play is that it's so disruptive and so, you know, such a departure from the sort of traditional way of doing things that it's faced some sort of resistance and discomfort from retailers. So this sort of like infuses a bit of old school dynamics back into the mix um, and, and could serve as sort of a bridge or, or like training, think of it as training wheels for retailers to sort of get comfortable with this thing. Um, so the way that works basically is that, you know, there are tags on the products um, and the tags, again, indicate location and things like inertial movement. So it can tell or the system can tell when something's been pulled off the shelf, put in your cart. Perhaps it was left in the dressing room, but more importantly, it can tell when it walks out of the store, which brings in the whole, again, just walk out sort of uh, value proposition. Um, so it's infusing just this this new technology. We'll, we'll see where it goes. Um, what it's done so far is it's sort of um, tested this. It, it's it's partnering with Avery Dennison to do the RFID tags, um, and it's already tested it in its hometown of Seattle. We all know Amazon's based in Seattle um, at at Climate Pledge Arena, which is where the Seattle Kraken ice hockey team plays. Uh, it did a lot of tests there. Um, it it also has previously brought. Um, 
the the just walkout technology prior to this RFID thing, it was uh, resident in Lumen Fields, which is where the Seahawks play um, in the sort of in stadium pro shop where you go in and, you know, you buy your Marshawn Lynch jersey or, or your Russell Wilson jersey or, you know, whatever. Um, and then, you know, um, that that's where it's sort of tested it so far. And there it's seen a 60 percent increase in uh, customer throughput. Again, that's one of the things. It's sort of that retail streamlining in and out of the store, 2x boost in total transactions per game. Um, and, you know, again, it's just expedited transactions. So um, it, it's sort of been, again, like slow to gain wide scale traction. So we'll see what this RFID thing does. Uh, panning back just for perspective, there are about 70 uh, Amazon owned stores that now apply, apply this technology, and then 85 third-party resellers, including some of those like in-stadium sort of context I mentioned. And so far, vertically speaking, it's mostly been like airport convenience stores. I think Hudson News had a deal with Amazon to pilot this. And then again, sports and entertainment venues. So what we're really looking for here is to see this sort of break out of those verticals, get more into like clothing and apparel and you know, other things. So we've been watching this for a while. We've been surprised at how slow it's gone. But again, I think that has a lot to do with the sort of revolutionary nature of the value proposition. And, and retailers just need some time to sort of acclimate to the idea and integrate it. Um, but a lot more to say on, again, Amazon sort of broader play here with the retail as a service and sort of the diversification move there. But I'll pause there for your reactions, Charlie, and we can go from there. Well, my first reaction is when they take the Russell Wilson jersey, do they walk out and they say, oh, no, just keep it? <laughs> yeah, so the payments is is definitely a key part. So um, the way this works is a few different modalities there. One is it's also integrated another piece of this retail as a service play, which is Amazon One, which is the palm scanner that you put right. scan on your way in and out of the stores. That validates you as a sort of shopper, and that's tied to your Amazon Prime account mm -hmm. so that they can easily onboard people. Um, the, the other way it's done is through, um, there's just in, in some cases, just like a little sort of tap to pay, um, yeah. type of thing as you walk out of the store. So it's not totally seamless and frictionless. There aren't checkout aisles like in a traditional sense, but there is like a, you know, it, the system knows what's in your bag, but yeah, you still have to like on your way out, just give a quick flick of your credit card to the little tap thing. And it says, okay, here's your receipt. Good to go. So, the just um, so there walk are a few out ways they've qualified. been doing it. It's a qualified just walkout. Yeah, so. yeah, exactly. Okay, all right. So is the end game pure just walkout? Like they were that, I think we talked about this once before. I made reference to this vague memory of a commercial about this. Where yeah, actor, yeah. You know, just it sort of looked like he was shoplifting and then the end of the, oh, sir, you forgot some, your, your receipt or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. That, and that was like pure just walkout. I mean, he was like shoving it in a trench coat and yep. that's the end game, right? So how far away are we from the, or is it the end game and how far away are we from it? Well, this that that's, that's one piece of the end game. Yeah. Just it's the pure, just walk out, but also just sort of these little sort of logistical efficiencies throughout the stores where Amazon want to go and it wants to demonstrate to retailers sort of those, those figures I've, I, I, um, cited in its in its pilot, where you know we can boost your customer throughput by sixty percent or give you higher revenues just based simply on the fact that there are no bottlenecks in the store. It just sort of right. creates this even flow of traffic throughout the store. People aren't waiting in any given places, um, and and from that, 
Amazon's end game is if it can talk enough retailers into that selling proposition, it basically has a, a SaaS based model uh, in terms of selling the software to the source um, and, you know, in a way that hopefully has a positive ROI for the store or for the chain. Um, and then Amazon therefore positions itself as a auxiliary secondary revenue stream as being this sort of technology provider for retail tech. Um, and the reason why we think that's the case is two things. One is we talk about this a lot, Charlie. It's just the sort of standard revenue diversification as a core revenue stream matures. In Amazon's case, that's e-commerce. So they're just looking mm -hmm. for other ways to continue their revenue growth by going into other big areas. And then number two, this follows the model of what and the playbook of what they've already done, which is AWS. AWS spun out. Um, as a you know one of the most successful tech products of the last decade, um, and, and they want to do that or a small version of it in terms of being a you know an enabler and a provider to bring the retailers of the world up to speed on the logistical and digital technologies they could be using to just sort of you know boost their this is just good old fashioned yield optimization is what and is what it is but in a fancier package so that's sort of what's going for yeah. Is this is the appeal to the consumer way different in this scenario than it is to the retailer? Because I think that the, your, your, the appeal to the consumer seems like a better customer experience. Just you walk in, you walk out. Yeah. Yeah. Assuming you do all the pre-setup and all that stuff. For the retailer, yeah, think, it's much more complex, you know, just efficiencies and so on and so yeah, forth. Yeah. You're right. There's a different set of value propositions. For the user, that's a good point. I think that on paper, it has what it needs to really like scratch that itch of like technologies that actually do solve a real problem, solve a real pain point. Whenever you're saving people waiting time in line, that's the pain and point. pain points, yeah. yeah, waiting in line, as opposed to, I always compare this to when mobile payments first came out in the early 2010s and everyone was like, this is going to be the next big thing. And I just wasn't seeing it because there was no sort of value proposition for the end user. It was more of a sort of tech for tech sake. Silicon Valley effect, you know, all yeah. the all of us geeking out about how cool it is. But for end users, it, there was really no just difference in in value proposition between swiping your card, which was the old way, and tapping your phone. Like BFD, what's the difference there? You're not no, going to one, one's cooler. Yeah. Yeah. Is right. It faster? Is it faster? Yeah, so is it easier? Is it cheaper? Whatever. No, it's, and it, it basically it yeah. saves two things. It saves like a millisecond of time in terms of the difference of getting out your credit card and and like what the my credit card was never a pain point how much does a credit card weigh i mean like no one's complaining about oh man these credit cards more. are just weighing me down yeah, <laughs> yeah. and and you yeah. got to carry a wallet anyway like if if they were to go the full distance anyone pushing that solution has to be like you know well you no longer need your license you're carrying your wallet either way so like right. reducing well, that that yeah. wallet by the 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 atomic mass of one credit card is just not but but anyway the point is that this is sort of it 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 flies against mm -hmm. some of those just solution in search of a problem type of thinking um where i do see at least on paper for to answer your question for the end user there really is potential here to have some tangible benefits of not having to ever wait in line at the grocery store for example yeah, I mean, you said a few things that just made me think of a different conversation we had about super apps, where I think about WeChat when you talk about the mic, you know, the atomic weight of the credit card and all that. Yeah, you know, yeah. the idea that in I, 
haven't been to mainland China. I'm just, I've been a lot of places. That's one place I have not been. But my understanding is you don't leave the house with your wallet and your keys and all this stuff. You leave with your phone and WeChat yep. and everything's there. Your phone, mm-hmm. you know, every form of identification, every form of payment, et cetera, is all right there. We're probably not going to get to that point. We've talked about super apps again. Um, yep. but this feels like it's kind of pointing in the direction of, you know, how do we consolidate more, you know, more of these things that require different uh, either devices or, or objects or behaviors into one thing. And yeah. direct. So it's sort of pushing in that direction in, in some sense. It um, is. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, it feels like something that sooner or later we're going to feel that it's a very normal behavior to walk into a store, fill up your, fill up a bag, maybe you're, you know, because they ban bags everywhere. But at this point, you fill up a bag that you bring into the store and you just leave with it, you know? Yeah. And something registers it all. I think, you know, and- that clearly what Amazon sees happening at some point, and they're mm-hmm. building the infrastructure for it now. They've built it, right? And now it's just a matter for the retailers and the consumers to catch up to that vision, right? Exactly. And I think, you know, it, it takes time. Like I mentioned, the sort of the acclimation process for the retailers. They need their hands held. Uh, I think I use the word training wheels. That's right. that's also the case for users. Even though the value proposition, as I said on paper, makes a lot of mm-hmm. sense, skip the line, all that stuff. Even still, if we look at historical, recent historical examples of that same thing, it still takes a while. If you remember like the first time your grocery store had a self-checkout aisle, it was a ghost town. And now right. like more and more people actually are comfortable with it and they do it. So it just, it takes a while for consumer. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, no, I've, you know, you have that, you go to the, it's like, okay, uh, I'm saving them a lot of money, but it seems like more effort for me. Whereas <laughs> this, um, Amazon just walk out, it, you know, it saves everybody time. Right. And, yeah. uh, I guess it's just a matter. It's a behavioral change like anything. Right. Yeah. Um, okay, cool, cool. So anyway, I've got a very different topic to discuss today. I had a, very interesting conversation earlier this week with an old friend of mine from the legacy yellow pages industry, Bruce Howard, very smart businessman, great guy. And he's you know, user-friendly yellow pages. He's made a, you know, a good living off yellow pages over the years. We'll just leave it at that. And Bruce was telling me about something he's up to now, which I think it's been going on for a while in fairness, but it, uh, I think it has some interesting things to say about what might be the near-term future in kind of the local home services space. And by that, I'm not talking about, you know, big home services platforms, but I'm talking about your local HVAC company driving the trucks around the neighborhood, you know, Bob's, Bob's and Sons, you know, in business since 1938 or whatever, you know, those businesses are increasingly being rolled up by private equity companies. So Bruce has partnered with a PE firm that has some legacy in the Yellow Pages business and other, you know, adjacent businesses. They've partnered up to create essentially what's user-friendly home services, and they've rolled up about 16 HVAC and or plumbing companies. And they're on their way to rolling up into about a $100 million aggregation of plumbing and HVAC businesses. You know, the margins aren't Yellow Pages margins, but these are healthy businesses. And, you know, the idea is to get it to a certain scale and then exit through another PE transaction of some sort. I'm not quite sure what the end multiples will be, but they'll be healthy, I'm sure, because I don't think Bruce gets into anything without, you know, the multiples being with the pot of the end of gold at the end of the rainbow being ample, 
you know. Uh, but what's interesting about this is a couple of things. One, um, it provides an interesting and a attractive exit opportunity for somebody who is an HVAC business, let's say it's 58, 59, 60 years old, looking at, okay, how much longer am I going to do this for? Maybe five years, maybe a little longer, maybe not much longer. What what am I going to do with this business? My son, Bruce joked, he said, some of these guys, their sons want to be astronauts, not plumbers. I don't think yeah. most of them want to be either, but you know. Uh, <laughs> but at any rate, so, you know, this business, they're looking, what's my exit? So this is an option. You know, these PEs come along and they're, Bruce is not the only one. Um, you know, I say, okay, we'll buy this company, you know, uh, whatever the price is. And you can, you know, stay on, work for a while as the general manager of the business or whatever it is. And all the corporate services, all the things you hate, all the billing, all the HR, blah, 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 the stuff that kept you away from installing HVAC or installing heaters and installing, you know, et cetera, whatever you, whatever you kind of got into the business to do with your hands, you can get back to doing that and let us handle the corporate stuff. And then, you know, a few years later, if you want to, you know, fly off to Florida, you can do that pretty much at any point once you've made that sale. Um, it's a really interesting exit strategy for a lot of companies. And if you look at the demographics, there's a lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of, you know, late fifties, early sixties, got people out there owning these businesses that probably are looking for an exit, might not necessarily have a, uh, you know, give it off to the kids uh, opportunity. You know, some cases probably, but not in every case. And the exits aren't always obvious. But now a lot of PEs are coming in and seeing this as an opportunity. HVAC, plumbing, pest control, you name it, landscaping. They're, they're targeting these specific industries and rolling them up, getting them to a certain size, certain amount of EBITDA, and then off, off they exit that business and maybe go do it again somewhere in a different, in a different space, perhaps. What's interesting about this, what really got my attention here is that my brother has been through almost exactly the same thing. He has, he was an owner of a music school and a PE that was focused just on music schools came along, bought his company. Now he's working, running this business for this private equity, which handles all the corporate stuff centrally, HR, billing, marketing, et cetera. Bruce's company had, you know, learned a thing or two about digital marketing, trying to figure out how to evolve the Yellow Pages business. And they were able to yep. apply those services to um, to this new business, you know, helping the uh, HVAC businesses, not just, you know, hire and fire and handle payroll and et cetera, but also do their digital marketing. So it's just, it, it, it was just an interesting look into kind of how the local business landscape is evolving. Mm -hmm. So the value proposition makes sense for, you know, you're right, the the proprietor themselves, like we always say that SMBs, they go into it because they are good at, you know, roofing right. or, or, or nail art or, you know, <laughs> they are not accounting a restaurant yeah. <laughs> or, or chefs or, you know, whatever, yeah, yeah. as opposed to all of a sudden, like it's what's thrust on them is the role that they were never really good at or wanted, which was to be a digital marketing exec, to be a right. COO, et cetera. So that makes sense. You kind of yeah. take that and give them their exit. Yeah, yeah. And in this conversation, Bruce made that exact point. He's like, most of these people are excellent at, you know, doing the hands-on work the, itself. They're yeah, not, yeah. for the most part, particularly great business people. And he meant that not that not as an insult, but just as a statement of fact. And it's probably yep. true. You know. Now, so that seems to be the positive part of the the value proposition. 
Um, and I don't want to take anything away from Bruce's effort here or to speculate. So I guess I'll just ask the question, sure. which is, are, are is this sort of swooping in? Is it giving fair market rates? Is it predatory in any way? Just to get get that question out of the way. Well, that's a fair question. I, you know, obviously I was talking to the person who would be that predator if that were the case. I didn't get yeah, the sense yeah. that he saw it that way or that he was approaching it that way. Sure. The only thing he said was these uh, business owners are by and large realistic about the multiples they're going to get. So yep. they're not swooping in there and overpaying for these businesses. I didn't get that sense. Um, sure, sure. You know, uh, and, and, and you the know, business can always say no. I mean, so they, I guess they, it, they, he gets turned down. There, there are, there are pro- different private equity. He's, he's had to compete with other private equity roll up players for the same deal. So there yeah. is. I mean, these aren't these aren't hostile takeovers. It seems. So no, that's, that's they can people can say no, and they can yeah. play offers against each other in some cases. So I'm of the sense that people are getting a fair Could deal. Call here. the proprietor. Not, call the proprietor's wife. That that would be a hostile takeover. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I, I get the sense that he. You know, the the only thing I will say is that he um, has spent many many years selling yellow pages to the same people he's not buying their businesses, you know? Yep. And so these are the thing he said is the relationships are the secret sauce in his particular group in approaching these home services businesses in the sense that, okay, I've been selling Bob HVAC company yellow pages for years. We've known each other for years. He trusts me. I know him. He picks up the phone because I call because he trusts me. I think, that, you know, that's kind of the environment that this is happening in. So he, generally, he's not calling up people he's never met and saying, I'd like to buy your business. He's calling up people he's known for years and saying, yeah. I'd like to buy your business. No, it, it's a smart play. I also like that, um, I guess what we didn't talk about, but the one of the end games here is that um, the the sort of economies of scale will be able to reach, operationally speaking, where you sort of right. throw all the marketing all the operations, all of the supply chain, bulk ordering, all of that into sort of one bucket, as opposed to all these that's, disparate businesses. I uh, think that's the whole idea. Why, why 16 yeah. companies together are much better than 16 independent businesses all doing the same centralized office services. Yeah. Negotiating leverage for supplies, right. all well, kinds that, of stuff. Well, now, um, in addition to that, uh, I'm not sure if you you gained this from the discussion, but from a branding perspective, does it create sort of one national brand pursuant to gaining a sort of, you know, brand no. equity and trust in the, to the consumer, sort of like an them. Aspen yeah. Dental sort of, sort yeah. of deal? That could be the play, but when, after I hung up with him, I went and Googled all the names of the companies he had mentioned during the conversation. Don't have to get into those here, but- Sure, sure. I looked at, they all had still their own websites, they're still their own branding. But huh. down at the bottom, it was powered by user-friendly media. It's it's gotcha. a powered by play, you know. Um, we see that a lot in acquisitions and software and other things too. Yeah, you know where the, it reminds where, me of what Slice is doing in the pizza vertical. They right. go in, they say, "Let us be the operating system for your pizza shop." Um, yeah. And all those things we mentioned, you know, collectively, um, bulk ordering, negotiating leverage, um, taking the the logistics and and computer systems and reservation systems off that pizza owner's hands. It sounds like that in, in some ways, at least, uh, which is un, really not smart. Unlike it, not unlike it, except with Slice, it's a 
software relationship, right? It's more, whereas. Oh, that's true. They haven't bought these yeah. companies. That's yeah, absolutely right. So true. it's, it's not a acquisition, but that's a yeah, big a difference. Vendor. But otherwise yeah. in terms of, yeah, the, the sort of the approach, the thought, the think thought process of, you know, what we're taking off your hands, what we're, what we're, you know, we're allowing you to spend more time making pizzas <laughs> as opposed yeah. to. Well, you know, once you, yeah, all that stuff, once you roll up and own those business, you don't have to worry about like SAS churn, right? <laughs> because right. you're not, you're right, not, right. you're not their vendor. You're, you, you own and, the company. And another, this is kind of a unique angle, unique. I mean, in, in Bruce's case, he owns a yellow pages business. We don't have to go into a long conversation about what's happened to that industry. We, we all know um, he still publishes these books, but he's been winding a few down. As we were talking, he was talking about a few books that he was looking at winding down. But he said one of his motivations in doing this is I want to save as many jobs as I can in his own organization. And one of the ways to do that is to have your corporate staff basically take what they've been doing for the directory business, but then start doing it for these PE roll-ups, you know, mm-hmm. um, at least at least extends the life of some of his I'm sure very long standing and loyal employees, you know, and uh, that was also part of his motivation. I mean, obviously the big motivation is let's chase uh, this big earning opportunity. And he's not shy about admitting that, you know, nor should he be. Uh, But there was a secondary motivation of um, giving some of his team on his legacy business, something to do, you know, productively, you know? So anyway, I thought it was just a very interesting conversation. What was kind of funny about it is uh, he said, you know, when I first thought about this, I was going to do dentists and then the pandemic hit. And it's like, oh, this doesn't seem like a perfectly good, <laughs> you know, while I'm, uh, but he said he was walking around his neighborhood during the pandemic because everyone was going on walks, you know, during COVID. He said he kept seeing vans in front of people's homes, you know, for HVAC or construction or whatever it was. And he's like, that's where the opportunity is, you know, mm-hmm. that's what gave him the insight, um, which I thought was really fascinating. Even though he's been working with these companies for years and years, the insight he got was that they were crushing it during the pandemic when he was thinking about, let's do a PE play of some sort like this, you know? So anyway, that's the last point on that. Yeah. So Mike, who won the week? Sure. So um, I've been looking a lot at uh, Snapchat or Snap and it's Snapchat plus subscription product it's showing no signs of slowing down. Just this last week, it passed 5 million paid users. And the cool thing is that those sort of milestones are actually accelerating. Um, So it has found the sort of sweet spot in terms of product market fit, in terms of feature set for things that people will pay for. We've gone down that list in the past. I'm not going to do it right now, but you can check out Locology Insider. But anyway, if you look at the numbers there, uh, 5 million subscribers, it's $4 a month, which is about, you know, 48, dollars uh, a year. Uh, that's about almost 250 million in, in annual revenue, which is about 5% of SNAP's overall revenue. So not a huge sort of um, percentage of revenue, but it continues to validate this model as that ticks up and it goes towards revenue diversifications. It goes towards validating um, this model that everyone's been sort of trying to throw against the wall in terms of what will people pay for in paid subscriptions. But we're going to keep watching this and see as it continues to tick up. It also happens, I should add, it coincides with some attrition that not just Snapchat, but the entire sort of digital ad world is seeing um, with sort of some of the the privacy-based tracking restrictions 
of the past several years. Uh, so now is exactly the right time to start to sort of validate models like this that diversify away from ad revenue. So uh, Snapchat winner of the week or Snap winner of the week for uh, hitting that latest milestone and no sign of slowing down. All right, Mike, I'm going to be super quick with mine. Google 25. I mean, I think someone should say hats off to Google for making it 25 years. They just, just barely dragged themselves over the 25-year finish line. Um, and I saw the, just a great, just massively passive-aggressive post on LinkedIn about this. And this guy, I'm not going to name him because I forgot his name already, basically said, congrats on you know winning on 25th year. And right below it, he said, oh, and Leonardo DiCaprio said today that he does all his searches on TikTok now. <laughs> I was like, okay, man. <laughs> That's one way to congratulate Google. Um, anyway, Mike, you want to read us out? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Charlie. Thanks, everyone, for listening. This has been This Week in Local. Stay tuned every week for more episodes. You can find the show on all major podcast networks and find out more at Locology.com. So please subscribe, like, and comment. Your engagement helps others find us. So I'm Mike Boland with Charles Lachlan. Our producer is Dara Sweat. So thanks for listening and see you next week. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Locology's This Week in Local with Mike Boland and Charles Lachlan. Be sure to subscribe for more.